welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Welcome to the Web3 Unpacked podcast with myself, Rich Pasqua, and Matt Sky, your hosts. Today, we're thrilled to have Brendan Cooper and Cody Marks-Bailey of the Andromeda Protocol joining us today. For those who don't know, Andromeda Protocol is the first on-chain OS and platform that allows users to use codeless drag-and-drop experiences to create unique smart contracts utilizing the power of multiple protocols across the cosmos and beyond. The ARC team has been privileged to work with closely with the Andromeda team for the past eight months, and it has been quite a ride, right guys? Um, we've helped them with the, the strategy and execution of verbal and visual uh, identity, digital communications, and influencing their UI design experience as well. Um, it's been crazy, guys but it's been super enjoyable. We're gonna get into a little bit of that. Um, we're happy to have you here, and I'm sure we'll have many, many more discussions uh, beyond this one. So welcome, and let's get into it. Yeah, thanks, Richard, taking, uh, taking us off. Uh, I think uh, you know, for anybody who's not familiar, if I can ask both of you, uh, Brendan and uh, Cody, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your history, uh, you know, where you're from and and uh, a little bit about uh, about the project, about Andromeda, just for people who are totally new. Sure, um, yeah, uh, my name's uh, Cody Marks Bailey. I, uh, I was born and raised in Texas, uh, deep South Texas, and found computers at a really early age, uh, around 10 years old. Um, they came pretty naturally to me. I was just kind of one of those, you know, uh, wonder kids that, that picked up computing really quickly. Uh, sort of programming and uh, kind of crawling around the, the very beginnings of the internet in 1992, 93. Um, and then uh, got into Unix and Linux and, and sort of the, the old school operating systems uh, back then. Um, and kind of was raised, I guess, on, on the early, early days of the internet using IRC and other, other protocols like that. Um, in the 2000s, got into the web 2.0 stuff, you know, building out the social media networks and, and things like that. Had some some pretty big uh, innovation pieces back then. Uh, worked on hashtags on Twitter back in nineteen or two thousand six. Um, got into I started the second co-working space uh, around that same time. So really was into that kind of free culture, that sort of connectivity, the the world being connected at a hyper hyper um, fast uh, pace. And then um, two thousand eleven two thousand twelve got into the the blockchain space. Got into uh, Bitcoin and then saw the Ethereum stuff coming up. Um, and it's it's funny people ask me how how long I've been in um, involved in blockchain. And I sell them probably about 30 years. And they, they're like, but blockchain's only been around for 10, like 12 years. How, 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 what do you mean 30 years? What, what does that even mean? So, well, the, the technologies that, that we're using to build blockchains were all being put together back to the 90s and, you know, even as far back as the 70s and 80s. So, um, so all these things coming together really made sense for me. And I uh, got into Ethereum, like I said, in 2013, 14. Um, and then had a really big win back in 2017 when I was one of the co-creators of the ERC 721 or NFT standard. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and I thought when we created that standard, we were going to have some really great uh, opportunities to create really awesome financial products. And instead, we got, you know, rainbow unicorns and digital Nikes. And it wasn't really <laughs> what I was excited about. 
Um, and we so have you to s- thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that, that's not what was intended. Um, I mean, it's great and all, it's 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 cool, but it's it's not where I where I was focused. Um, and so for the last four years, I kind of last five years, I guess, up until Andromeda, I was kind of uh, waiting for the technology to mature enough that we could start creating, you know, really exciting and fun things like insurance and and bonds and and all these kind of things. Um, and it wasn't until we kind of, uh, you know, Brendan and, and, and I and the, and the rest of the team got together and was like, okay, now it's it's time. The technology is is, is at a at a kind of the earliest point where we can start doing what we're what we're doing right now. So that's kind of what brought me into it. Um, I've, I've enjoyed working with Brendan for the last uh, uh, eighteen months. Um, he and I get along really well, and I'll, I'll let him go next, I guess. Sure. Thanks, Cody. Uh, and thank you, Rich and Matt, for having us uh, today. This is yeah, really, of course. Uh, thank you for joining. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I'm Brendan Cooper, and I'm a 30-year technologist. I've been leading uh, technology organizations um, during that time, uh, from uh, billion-dollar companies and digital transformation to um, uh, venture and angel-funded startups. Uh, that included. Uh, transaction processing. I came out of the and started in the uh, credit card uh, processing business, um, and this had me uh, working on systems that handled about twenty percent of the North American transactions at a really really young age. Uh, and I get, really got an appetite for high tech and uh, how fast the fast moving uh, uh, technological frontier. So I've always enjoyed being out there. Most recently, uh, I worked for the largest collectible company in the world. Uh, Panini, and uh, for Panini, uh, we created the very first officially licensed NFT collectibles for the NBA, the NFL, and uh, the FIFA World Cup, English Premier League, and lots of other globally recognized uh, names. Uh, When Cody called and told me what was uh, possible, we've known each other for a number of years, uh, we were trying to solve some problems uh, for Panini, and I was really excited to find out that the, the co-creator of the 721 standard actually was in my backyard. So we had him in. We tried to do some things, but the uh, Ethereum solidity, the, the smart contract language wasn't up to what we wanted to do. So when Co- Cody called and said, look what's possible over here, uh, I left in a hurry and uh, joined the uh, revolution at the Web3 frontier. Incredible. You know, guys, a- after working with you, you know, y'all for, for quite a bit now. Um, one of the interesting parts is, and you both have really interesting backgrounds, obviously, but collectively the core Andromeda team really is quite special. And maybe we could dig into that because it really, there's a, there's a maturity um, and uh, a strategy uh, from a core team standpoint that really sets you off from, from other protocols, other software companies in general. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, that was um, uh, that was Cody. You know, Cody uh, made those choices. Uh, he's a super networker, and uh, he reached out to the people that he thought were going to um, uh, help him realize uh, the vision. And it's it's been amazing, really, because um, we've got uh, Matt Hawkins, uh, former uh, uh, U.S. Marine colonel, uh, top top gun instructor, uh, really extraordinary executive who brings um, uh, extraordinary global campaign and project uh, strategy, uh, think tank level uh, 
uh, strategy and, and marine level execution uh, to this project. And, and Cody uh, reached out to Connor Barr, who's in Northern Ireland. Uh, Mantis here with uh, me in uh, Texas. Uh, Connor is a uh, really gifted uh, Rust uh, developer, and he has been able to translate uh, and create uh, 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 what we think is a world-changing uh, protocol. It's going to really uh, change the game. So, yeah, we've got this continuum of uh, capabilities from extremely technical to um, very high-level conceptual, but everyone's te technologically savvy. Everyone is very deeply immersed in this technology and has been for uh, many, many years, actually. Yeah, that, that, the, the team structure um, was one of the things that really kind of, you know, did it for me. Um, and I believe you kind of frame it as, you know, every team member is agile, creative, and adaptable, right? Um, we love that. And in fact, you know, we're going to get into it probably a little bit down the road as far as like workforces and habits and, and all that good stuff. But that to me is the framework of, of a modern you know, a modern technology company. So yeah, yeah. We, we, we drew from a, there was a book written uh, in the late nineties called the cathedral and the bazaar. It's a, it's a, a, a very, very uh, well known and respected book uh, that was written. And it talks about the creative process for software and how software can be created. And the cathedral is how, how organizations like Microsoft or sun microsystems or Adobe, you know, or SAP create theirs. They have a, they have a, a, a management structure they've got you know all these people down there that that you know it's a it's a pyramid it's it's you've got um roles and responsibilities everything's fairly rigid and that system works really well for creating enterprise level software you know it's 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 one method of creating things and then you have sort of the bazaar and the bazaar if you think about how a bazaar is created it's by a bunch of people coming together and sharing uh, a common vision to put to put those things together and the value comes from the aggregate. And there's really no one in charge. Everyone's in charge. They kind of make decisions uh, based on collective intelligence and, and input. And right now, our organization is very heavy in the bizarre side because the types of people, like if you look at all the innovation going on in blockchain right now, it's not coming from Microsoft. It's not coming from from the the, the, the cathedral-like places. You know, just like, like if you go back into the the open source, you know, um, movement back in the nineties, it was all from people doing it from their bedrooms, from their, from their, you know, after hours, after their, their normal, you know, day jobs. And so you have to sort of create that culture and let people bring in these, these minds that don't want to be uh, told what to do. They have, you know, very, very high uh, demand resistance. They don't, you know, and so you need that sort of uh, push and pull and, and, and allow people to be creative and expressive because there is no right answer. Once you get into, into a cathedral, You've got design patterns, you've got, you know, you've got a really regimented, you know, hey, this is how you do it. We're going to use these technologies. We've got to put A, B, C, D, E, F, G in order to get the product done. Great. Do that through a cathedral. But when you are innovating something, you can't say, hey, nine to five, sit in the chair and innovate, damn it. We need you to innovate. Innovate. Do it. You, that, that's not how innovation works. You've got to let them, you've got to let it happen. It's like, you know, stone soup. It just, it's sort of emergent and it just sort of happens. Mm. Yeah, you need you kind of need people to come to you and be active and really, you know. Oh, there's a take a yeah, step there's a, forward. There's a ton of natural filtering that goes on. Like some people come into mm. organizations like this and they're like, "Yeah, well, where's HR? 
like there is no HR. Like, what are, what are you talking about? Like, well, what about, well, you know, don't we, you know, where's, where's, they need all, you know, if someone needs all that structure, it's like, you're probably not the right person, maybe down the road, but for now, you know, you need to be a lot more loose and a lot more um, um, willing to, to kind of bend and flex and, and work. And so, you know, with that leadership comes from all, all points. Um, you know, some people have more, some people have more, re, uh, you know, respect or more um, um, a, a louder voice in the organization because they come from a background. They're really talented in one area. And, you know, like I tell the guys all the time on the team, we've got about, you know, there's about 20 people in our orbit. Um, I tell them, you know, if, if I if, if I screw up or if I say something wrong, dude, just because I'm the, 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 the boss, if you want to call me that, like, your your opinions are just as good as mine. We can we we need to discuss this stuff. Let let merit come from from all points. Don't you know this isn't a cathedral. Mm. Are there unexpected directions yeah, I, that I happen? Think... Oh, I was just going to ask about unexpected directions when you have that almost more hive mind approach. Um. Yeah. It, it takes. It took us about a, a, a solid year to get the culture down and get the cadence down and get everybody synced in. And we we totally got it. Brennan and I. Uh, we saw it whenever it happened. It was like. It's it's finally like we finally arrived at this point where everybody is synced in together, and it's like a you know one of the one of the um, one of the phrases we use inside the um, inside the organization is we we the 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 group is run kind of like a basketball team, right? And when when a basketball team is really clicking, it's like you pass the ball before the person was even there. Well, how did you know he was going to be there? It's like I can't tell you why. It wasn't in the plans. It was just I know that whenever he cuts left, I and I scoot to the right. He, that's going to open up a lane here. And you just sort of, it becomes this um, uh, innate uh, culture that, that develops inside about, about who's got what. And like, I never, I didn't have to say this thing because I knew you already were thinking that same way because we're in sync all the time. And that happens a lot in the organization. It's something you have to be patient for. You can't, you can't force that in, in month two or month three, you have to let it evolve. And, and then once it does, man, it's powerful. And then you can start adding people in, you know, new people into the group and they can, they pick up that culture because it's, it's so powerful and so strong. Yeah, mm. it is. And from a, and, and that structure uh, or that really loose, bizarre like structure has enabled our extremely talented engineers to uh, lead us to something that's really, really unique in the world. Uh, so many people in this space are building really fast they're looking for the quick flip. They're using existing models. Everything kind of looks like a copy and paste. Uh, and we've created something really novel, really powerful. Of course, uh, we're transitioning from the bizarre model to uh, a bizarre and a cathedral. So we, we look at them as uh, two halves of an organization. And the cathedral, now, now that we've got the architecture in place and the software is getting really close to launch, uh, we're in a place where we need that cathedral, we need the process, we need the controls and the organization uh, that's going to scale. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating kind of dynamic, and it's a real privilege to kind of see it in the, wor in the works with you guys, to actually see it behind the scenes. And I try and explain to people the experience that I've been having with you guys and the rest of the ARC team and they're like, what? They do what? And, and it's a little fantastical for, yeah. for people to understand that these micro societies can, can actually exist. And it, it's fun. And it opens up debate. And, um, you know, don't even get me started 
on – or you guys started on the idea of a DAO because we're going to save that for another podcast. <laughs> but, you know, Matt, maybe I think this is a good time. We really should have these guys give us the – what is Andromeda Protocol? Give us the the overview. Um you know, uh, the audience we're speaking to today are sometimes techie and sometimes uh, noobs or, uh, you know, normies, sure. as we like to call them in the Andromeda world. Um, yeah. Go for it. I'll let, I'll let Brendan start because he, he gives a, a better high-level view about what it achieves and what we can do. And then I, I can I can definitely riff on the technology side. So, Sure. So from a, um, a business standpoint, we're creating something that looks like um, a modern operating system. We have a store that has uh, apps and apps that can be used. We've got file systems. We've got um, the capability to, uh, to let people build uh, extraordinary applications that access the very best projects and capabilities, both in decentralized finance and throughout the uh, Cosmos ecosystem and even beyond. Uh, technically, we are a multi-chain and cross-chain uh, operating system, and we span the Cosmos ecosystem. And the unique architecture that we use, which is fully decentralized and trustless, lets us uh, or lets anyone uh, push applications uh, and 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 develop them using a no-code builder or a really sophisticated. A command line interface. But in any case, uh, we're moving towards a, a place where normal people can sit down and they can build applications. And um, from, a, from a technical aspect, um, you know, early on, I guess this was probably about a year ago, maybe, maybe a little less than a year ago, the idea of calling ourselves an operating system was there, but Brendan and I didn't really feel like that was the best descriptor of what we were building. Um, and it's it's been about I guess maybe two months ago we, we finally you know once we were getting closer and closer to launching and, and the 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 software took shape we started going you know I think I hate to say it but I think this is an operating system and that's a that's a big claim it's a really it sounds you know to, to the un, to the untrained eye it's it's that can that can look like a, a phrase that is um, marketing speak or you know it's like well what, what does that actually mean an operating like on a blockchain what how, how does that even how do you reconcile that technically or even like how, how can you say that well if you if you go back to the 19 late 1950s early 1960s you look at these computers that were built right and you all remember the old days we oh the size of a room and it could do it was a large calculator and it can do 10,000 transactions per per hour or something like that you know and you had a you know a vacuum tubes and all this kind of stuff okay great Punch cards, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can go back to all that kind of stuff. All right, cool, cool. Well, you know, if you look at that architecture and you look at the capability of those machines and then you fast forward 60, 70 years and you look at what's going on in blockchain, it's like, dude, those are the same thing. Like those computers are like these blockchains, they're really cool. They're secure. They do all these, you know, cryptographically sophisticated things with, you know, massive amounts of, of processing power. But all that stuff that's being done results in a very, very small amount of computation being done in a very, very fragile and very, very uh, like nascent uh, technology stack that's that's barely able to perform little bitty things. I mean, like you look at what Visa and MasterCard are doing and you compare that to, I don't care what blockchain you're talking to, like it doesn't, it just doesn't compare. And so if you look at these um, 
these blockchains as computers, which is really what they are. If you want to look at the definition of a computer, and I'm talking like going back to the 1960s and 70s and looking at the definitions of, of these terms, not not operating system in 2022 where you talk about Mac OS, you know, Monterey and, and Windows 11 and, and, and iOS, whatever. Like those are operating systems that have been way advanced. But if you go back to the late 60s and the, and the early 70s and you look at operating systems and what did they do? What did an operating system do? What did it give us? Well, it gave us the idea of like the ability to start um, uh, running multiple applications at the same time to connect those applications. Right. So you didn't no longer were using punch cards, right? Turning the machine off, loading up new punch cards, turning it on and it, it, it does its thing and then it ends. It's actually running and it's doing multiple things at one time and, 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 and systems can feed each other. And there's a there's a protocol in the back end. There's these input and outputs. And this is what the guys that, that started Unix, you know, back in back in at Bell Labs, back in the um, in the late 60s. That's what they did. They created this this, you know, with the C language, they were able to start connecting these things. There's some pretty cool parallels that that I think need to be mentioned, but you know, for our protocols, we're we're using Rust, which is really a derivative of C++, which is a derivative of C. So you're kind of we're already in that same space. We're using a a, a proper language to develop something that looks like an operating system, something that has a user space. It's got users, not just keys, not just a public and a private key that you stash in a wallet and a Chrome plugin. We're talking about an actual system that's running. It actually has a uh, it has a scheduler. It's got automation. Things are working on its own. It's not not everything's having to be poked by a wallet day to day. That's the yeah. kind of stuff you need to we need to see happen. And right now, we're not seeing anybody in the blockchain space like recognize this piece. And I think that comes from like like we were talking earlier. You know, you asked about putting the right team together. I, I wouldn't expect a 19 or a 20 year old to understand these things because they they're this close to the technology. They've always been this close to technology. They don't have the in my case, 30 years of experience playing with operating systems and understanding them at a, at a very, very low level. And it would be really difficult to try to tell a 19 or 20 year old, uh, you know, some, some blockchain degen to go out and, and hey, go study, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the computers of the 60s. They're going to say, what are you talking about, old man? Why, why would I look at a computer from the <laughs> 60s? Like, this is 2022, baby. I've got blockchain on my phone. Like, you're missing the point. There's architectural decisions. There's 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 a lot we can glean from techno, from from history on this stuff to know what the next path forward is going to be. We think we have that. Um, Cody, you're you're you, you've brought up um, the idea of understanding history, and we truly believe the same thing in the sense that in order to go forward into the future into new technologies, you really have to you know you don't have to be a complete historian, but you do need to understand the progression of technology, the progression of thought process in order to kind of push forward a little bit harder uh, and more accurately. Now, one other thing, too, you guys brought up, and I think this is really, really important, given given what we've seen over the past four months, you know, pancaking protocols, uh, you know, implosions, um, the importance, if you could talk briefly about the importance of multi-chain and why that's important and how that sets Andromeda up differently over other protocols. Sure. So the, today, the, the um, uh, decentralized finance and Web3 is really um, fairly controlled and, and represented by a few really large blockchains, like Bitcoin, it's a generation one chain, um, like 
Ethereum, which is really a second generation chain. And, and these are really, really good uh, technologies, but they were the very earliest imaginings of what the technology can be. Um, and what happens is when you have a single uh, global machine, um, you, you end up constrained from a design principle. You end up in a situation where it's really difficult to ship code and to actually iterate and improve software. And software needs to be iterated. It needs to be, um, it needs to morph and change and, and be developed over time. And so the multi-chain um, future, as we see it, um, really unlocks both the speed of development and innovation, but it also lets uh, uh, builders execute very specific uh, business models that require very specific kinds of computation. Um, and th there are a number of different um, uh, cases for this, but a, a really simple example is say a privacy chain that is using uh, cryptography to uh, make uh, and ensure privacy uh, on the blockchain. A chain like that is going to be computationally quite a bit more expensive to operate than uh, a chain that is not uh, securing and, and providing that kind of uh, privacy using cryptography. And it's gonna have a higher cost. And you may want those features, but you don't want to be locked into that cost structure. Um, the multi-chain future also uh, mitigates what you described, which is when you have a failure, okay, you, you're not, uh, you've got a, a, a dispersed set of blockchains around the world. They have different security guarantees. Uh, they have, different applications, they uh, become very specifically engineered to support certain kinds of applications. And what this does is it creates a, uh, a much better uh, environment, it creates uh, more opportunities to innovate, and it also creates, um, uh, it insulates from the, the risk that any one chain uh, is going to fail. Yeah, and we've seen that. <clears throat> so you guys have taken the right precautions from day one and really kind of stretched your minds and, and your development skills to really meet that demand and actually have the foresight to, to stay, again, like a basketball team, Cody. Yeah, you know? and that's, a, that's a, 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 a very key component to the, to the platform that we decided to build on. That was the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, one of the one of the, the biggest components of this Cosmos ecosystem is the ability to uh, interact with other chains in a very very simple and fast way through a, a protocol called IBC, um, which is quickly becoming the the standard for communications across different blockchains. Um, it's a it's a very very key component to what we're what we're building. I'm curious, just a really quick rewind. Um, it struck me when you said you were reluctant to call it to call Andromeda an operating system. Uh, I know sometimes previously I'd heard in some interviews sort of like the WordPress of blockchain and things like that. When did you determine it was time to say, no, this is this is significant enough that we need to use that terminology, that this is an operating system? That's a really good question and one that kind of makes me squirm because <laughs> in some ways we're creating it a, or in a lot of ways we can compare ourselves to a WordPress because we do have a web interface that allows for you to basically use code that's written by somebody else, of course, audited and tested, but for you to assemble those things like you do on a, um, 
uh, in a WordPress um, interface. So that isn't that is not incorrect. And 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 in saying you know needing those kind of that kind of functionality, I think a lot of people in the in the blockchain space would say, yeah, we should probably get to a point where the average user can walk up and just start creating applications or solutions on these chains. Um, the word operating system. It's really difficult. Like that—that's the word that that Brent and I had the biggest um, uh, pushback on early on was because when you say operating system, people think, "Oh, like Windows." It's like, no, there's no mouse, there's no screen. These are computers that don't have sophisticated outputs. They're literally transactions on a ledger that we can't see. It's like, but that's what operating systems looked like back in the 1960s. That's what an operating system looked like was everything was being dumped down to a you know one megabyte hard drive. And you could basically print stuff out to get data feeds out of this thing on paper. Well, you know, we have something very similar to that now. So how we use those words, analogies help help bridge the gap on education. And we have to sometimes, you know, shoehorn some some modern technology terms into what we're doing. Yeah. You know, right, Cody, cool. I would have laughed. I think, um, I, I think oh. uh, because what because what, what Cody was describing is correct. However, we do have a uh, an application interface that has icons of uh, distributed, decentralized applications, dApps. Uh, there's a library of them. It's very small right now. It's growing. Um, and so that, that means we can um, offer mobile uh, experiences. It means that we can uh, have web experiences that look and feel just like your operating system. Uh, we've got hierarchies and, and file systems of these uh, dApps and utilities and other services that are very similar to what uh, are used by operating systems today. And so when you combine all that together, along with a, a powerful, expressive, succinct command line interface, uh, you get something that looks exactly what uh, application developers and what uh, consumers think of as an operating system. Mm. A computer and science for, for me, for, for me, you know, understanding your world quite a bit, um, I was so impressed with the idea of Andromeda digital objects or ADOs, right? Um, and to me, that's the heart of it. And to have smart contracts that have been thought through and vetted and pressure tested and, right at your fingertips, that is hyper-powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you tell us I mean, a little bit more about that? So that, that was Cody's, um, that was his great, I mean, that was his insight. That was, you know, that he's always wanted to build what he called functional uh, NFTs. And what, what emerged is, is Cody created a breakthrough in modular smart contract uh, programming. And what we've created are, as you described, these Andromeda digital objects, uh, which are bundles of code that the design principle behind them is that they're very simple. They accept very simple inputs, produce outputs, and they can be combined into really complex systems that turn into really capable apps. Yeah. Yeah. Quite powerful. Um, so how, so what's the relationship then, uh, in terms of where it lives, where Andromeda lives, and what's the relationship to uh, Cosmos and Solana? Can you elaborate on that a bit? Cody, you want to take that? 
<laughs> Sorry, I didn't specify who. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I assume you're a hive mind. You said you're a hive mind. I assumed you'd both well, answer. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so yeah, Cody, yeah, so the, the Andromeda, um, we have, we have a, uh, um, we deploy the Andromeda logic library, which is a set of, of smart contracts. Um, uh, right now we're at about 28 to 30 smart contracts. We'll be up to probably 200 uh, in a year from now. Um, and what that is, is the actual logic and all of the intentionality is put on chain. Right now, there's a lot of, lot of applications out there that, that do things off chain. They do things on an AWS cluster. They do things you know, in a, in a, uh, an interface, a web interface with maybe a MySQL backend or some sort of off chain, um, place. And that, that was mainly done because it was expensive to do things on Ethereum. You were trying to offload as much functionality off chain in order to, um, to, to lighten the load. You know, we're not asking the, the blockchain to do so much. Well, one of the big breakthroughs on this was the, the fact that I got tired of waiting for solidity to actually mature and become a, an actual functional language. Um, and that's when, you know, looking at Rust, it was like, holy crap, this is a big language. This is a very, very, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a language that's being used in the Linux kernel. You would never use Solidity anywhere but smart contracts on Ethereum or, a, or anything in the EVM. And so when you, when you finally kind of tear into this, this new opportunity that Rust affords, now you can start doing much more sophisticated things on chain. This could not be done on Solidity. Let me say this. It could be done on Solidity. It would take you five years to build it, and it wouldn't. It, it's it's not the right place to do it. Um, and so, so this environment on the Cosmos ecosystem with um, with with Rust and the the Cosmosm stack, interchain accounts and IBC. This whole stack. It's like, oh, we finally have a computer that's capable of running something that might look like an operating system. You go to Ethereum. It's like it's just not. It's not built for that. It's not built to, to create something like that. So. What Brennan said earlier about first-gen and second-gen blockchains, this is a third-gen blockchain, and we're finally these, these blockchains are finally getting to a point that they're mature enough that you can build really sophisticated applications. One thing that we're seeing inside the Cosmos is you've got a lot of people coming in from Ethereum, right, leaving the Ethereum ecosystem because they're, for the same reasons, they're, they're tired of it. It's gas fees are too high. It's too crowded. There's, you know, it's an older, older architecture, and they move into the new one. And what do they do? A lot of guys are building the same systems they built on Ethereum. They don't realize that, like, mm -hmm. hey, man, you can do a lot more here. Why don't we? Why don't we get you know more sophisticated with 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 more stuff? And that's kind of where we've taken the lead. Um, I can't I can't leave this one unanswered. Brenda, I think you're on mute. Um, okay, so you just said uh, you said blockchain one, blockchain two, blockchain three. We have Web three. Everybody, <laughs> all the numbers. What's the distinction? Yeah. What is blockchain three? Versus one and two. Give us that that sense. Uh, starting with Cody, then going to Brendan. Oh, uh, so really, on a technical sense, you know what what Bitcoin gave us was the ability to do Bitcoin, a very simple proof of work uh, system that allowed us to basically send coins from one person to another and have a debits and credits system on a blockchain. I realize there's going to be some Bitcoin maxis that'll that'll tell me about opcodes and want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> But it was a first-gen blockchain. It's done very well. It's, I mean, it's it's the king of coin. It's it's always been um, uh, stable and, and true. And then Ethereum came out and said, well, what if we put logic on the chain? And so, you know, Vitalik and, and Gavin and these guys got together and said, we're going to create this Ethereum operating system. And wow, we can start creating applications on here. So no, no longer is it just the debits and credits, but it's if this, then that. We can do some really sophisticated things. So that was a big I mean, quantum leap, obviously. Way. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's what really, that's what really got me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, uh, uh, amateur economist and uh, in the Austrian, the Austrian school is where I've, where I've spent most of my time. And so of course, Bitcoin was always there, but I'm an engineer and I want to create things. And with Bitcoin, I really couldn't create much more than payment channels, I guess. Um, so Ethereum came through and it was, it was the first, it was the first attempt at creating smart contracts on a blockchain. And that worked really well. I mean, we, we've been using it for almost 10 years now. It's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's done a lot. But the architecture, you know, that group that, that built Ethereum didn't know where the problems were down the road. And so if somebody said, you know, after seven years, eight years of $80 gas fees, there's groups that are out there that said, hmm, what if we were to re-architect what they did and do it a little bit differently and improve upon that? So a next generation blockchain. And that's what the, um, the Tendermint and Cosm, uh, Cosmos ecosystem sort of uh, built together. And now we have this uh, sort of federated uh, internet of blockchains approach. And I, I realize we're trying to, to get down to web three versus web two and generation one and generation two. But um, that was a, that was a big piece there is, is creating a federation where you don't have primacy in this, in this ecosystem. So there's no core, you know, uh, base layer chain like you have in Ethereum where you have these different uh, chains that are built off of it. And it's the core. You're still asking a lot from that centralized or that central point, not centralized, but central point uh, blockchain. Here you have a federation where you have IBC channels that open up and you have a much more distributed uh, workload. I know. Go, uh, go, Brendan. <laughs> well, go, Brendan. Say the, <laughs> go, Brendan. The, today, the, the, the applications, we call them decentralized apps or dApps, uh, that are found all over the world, um, they're basically using Web 2.0 technologies. They're using technologies um, from the past, and they use these external systems. Um, they, ha they have their own servers, and they use APIs to interrogate and interact with this decentralized blockchain. And it's, I mean, it, it's worked as far as it has so far, but it, it's very limiting. And it, it's, it's limiting because it's kind of like throwing out the playbook for what it means to be decentralized. Uh, it, it's, um, and, and so Cody was talking about all of your intentionality, all the programming logic, all the applications uh, ride on the blockchain, uh, whatever blockchain you're operating from in, the, in this ecosystem. And that's a really, really big deal because what it means is um, today, if you're running an application, you're dependent on third parties you're dependent on them to run their servers correctly. You're dependent on them to solve uh, lots of uh, scaling issues and race conditions and lots of things that on the back end that Web 2.0 companies have. Um, what we've built is fully decentralized, lives on chain, and it opens up a whole new uh, set of poly uh, possibilities because all the applications bring their own execution environment, whatever blockchain or blockchains that they're operating on, they operate on those natively. Yeah, it's interesting, guys. You know, <clears throat> I have this discussion all the time with folks, and we've developed apps in-house too. And a lot of them are exactly the way you're explaining them, like traditional Web 2 technologies, sending out, you know, pinging the, the network, validating on uh, one or two nodes or multiple decentralized nodes, uh, and then it's sending that information back. What you're talking about is truly, and for you guys, it's an operating system, but really being able to build really streamlined applications 
truly on the block. And I think that's something that people don't really understand. Just like the idea of centralized blockchains versus uh, decentralized, right? One or two nodes versus millions of nodes, right? Um, there's a huge difference. Um, and it's a discussion that we don't have to get too into it, but it's a discussion that I have quite a bit and people just don't understand it actually. Yeah, so in I mean, a sense, the, the future is blockchain people, agnostic. I was going to say the future is, bla is blockchain agnostic in a sense, right? Like you could theoretically be on Solana, yeah. Ethereum, <laughs> Polkadot, you name it. You'll bounce yeah. around between blockchains, right? That's right. The, nobody cares um, what database you're running. When you open up your computer and you start using it, you don't know what version of software you're running. You don't know uh, if you're using this database or that database. Um, or even this operating or system or that system. You just know that you can access the apps that you want. You can run the business that you want to run. You can conduct whatever types of uh, activity that you want using that computer. And the, the, the technology disappears. And, and that's where blockchains are going. We're not going to be talking about L1s and L2s and uh, this blockchain and that blockchain. That stuff disappears. The reason why we talk about it is because we have to. It's so hard. And everything's so particular about the exact technology stack that we, it's still, you know, it's a, still a really complicated thing to use and interact. And you have to know those things. Yeah, uh, I, I think you hit it, Brendan. And it's like once the technology disappears, people really don't care what's behind the, behind the door, uh, right. behind, you know, the, uh, under the hood, I should say. Um, and that's truly when you know you've done something special. When all the technology, yeah. all of this craziness that we're involved in right now goes away, that to me is, is success for sure. Yeah. yeah. The listener should be asking the question, well, okay, great, but why do I care? Why do I care about these blockchains? I've got everything that I need. And, you know, Web3, uh, powered by these public decentralized blockchains, they let us build the Internet as we wish we would have built it way back when. It, it's building mm -hmm. the future that we want, where privacy is first, control of our data is first, uh, and other people don't control our destiny because they happen to be first with some software or you know they get to uh, extract extraordinary costs um, because they happen to have the first position um, in these two-sided platforms that exist in Web 2.0. So you have all these tech giants. Um, in the future, the, all of the computation is, is private, and it, it opens up um, the, the possibility where everyone can just plug into whatever software capabilities they need, just like they would plug in their computer to a, uh, an outlet in the wall, or they would flip on a switch on the wall. It's just a utility. Banking is reduced to uh, a protocol. Uh, I mean, banks are already getting rid of all the stores. Or, I mean, like, like the, the actual service keeps going down and down and down. It, it can be handled algorithmically. There are programs that can handle 85%, 90% of everything a retail bank does for customers. And that's the future. You know, Brendan, you hit, you hit on something earlier on, um, uh, you know, as we're talking about the technology disappearing, the one thing we don't want to disappear 
is the idea of why we're using these new technologies, Web3, blockchain, right? And that yeah. is and, – and that that very sentiment scares the poop out of a lot of big companies, big tech companies, governments across the world. Um, and it's the idea of absolute truth, right? Yeah. And, and validating two, two opposing uh, uh, entities. People want freedom. People like freedom. That's a, that is a universal truth. People want freedom. You can look at, at any culture in the world. The more freedom they have, the happier the people are. And you've got these, like, like, like Brennan was saying, this is where I get in my, my, uh, get on my, my soapbox here. Um, but the, the fact that I don't have control over the sort feature in my Instagram is a, is a freaking travesty. The fact that, that some in, in, in San Francisco decided that, yeah, you're not going to get that feature because it doesn't, it doesn't benefit me. Yet I'm the yeah. user. You've got you know a billion users using these platforms, and we're being told what to do by these by these by these companies. You know, and I think once we once we're able to take that that platform out of their hands and say no 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 no, you don't get to you don't. This isn't a singular person that gets to make a decision on how I operate. That's 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 not 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 tolerated in, in this in this area. So the idea is that if we can take the logic that that Uber is doing right, and Uber takes half when a, a driver what what you what you pay. For an Uber trip, half of it goes to the guys in San Francisco. I don't understand why. I don't to pay for the data analysts. I don't understand this. You know, this 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 fee structure. But you know, what what are you? Look at the logic being done in the Uber app. It's basically saying you're. It's a little bit of, of, of trigonometry. You're close to this person. This person needs. You know, wants to pick up pick you up. This person needs to be picked up. You match them together. You charge a fee, and then everybody makes makes out well. Except that you've got this fifty percent burden you're having to carry. From someone who's not producing any any value, they got in early, like Brendan said. They locked into the platform, and now they control it, and they get to make all the rules. And 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 what's what's the alternative? There's not one right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well said, well said. You said this. Ah. Uh, I think we I think we said this in our <laughs> pre-interview. Uh, the last chapter of the sovereign individual. <laughs> so what blockchain is exactly. Well, yes, uh, I love that one. Um, and it's it's a great book. And then the um, the the what's the other one? The network, network um, the network state. Yeah. yeah, that phenomenal. That if anyone, the network state is a book to read for sure. Rich, when you first right connected, when you first connected with Andromeda and these guys, uh, how long did it take before you saw the significance of what's being developed here? Just curious. Well, I mean, so I, I mean, Cody and I met years ago. He introduced this idea of, and keep me honest here, bud. <laughs> um, he was on stage explaining something about validating artwork, like priceless pieces of art. And I was like, whoa, you know, and I, I had been in it for a while, but obviously not that level of understanding or obviously programming knowledge. But the way he explained it, I said, this is something very interesting. He couldn't mention the organization he was working with uh, because of privacy issues and, of course, time to market. Um, you know, uh, that blew me away. Uh, other pro protocols and projects started to open the door like Pandora's box. And once you jump the chasm, I think we all use that term, once your mind goes there, it, it, it's a floodgate. It almost becomes overwhelming, right? But when talking to these guys, you know, uh, the whole team, understanding how it's just going to make life a lot easier 
um, to spin up these things. People just like, yes, you can spin up an NFT pretty darn easy with with very limited uh, technology uh, know-how. But really to build a, uh, an NFT or a smart contract that is truly rooted in utility and actually maybe has geofencing and AI baked into it. And how would I even approach that? I wouldn't even know, but I'm interested and I want to get involved. So to me, the idea of, and I hate the WordPress analogy because I think you're light years ahead of that whole thing. Um, it's really understanding that truly these ADOs are drag and drop. You're plugging one node into another node. You're having one communicate to another. And then voila, you know, at the end of the day, you've got this whole system. You put in some variables, you change up the, the you know, financial allocations or whatever you're, whatever you're planning to do. To me, that was just a, a very big deal. And that yeah. was like day one getting involved with them. And, and there's a lot of, um, so a lot of this is emergent and a lot of these, like what we're seeing in computer science is we see a lot of um, technology that replicates uh, organic systems. And so a lot of times like drawing upon, you know, other areas, like I said, you know, computers in the 1960s, operating systems in the late, late sixties, um, also organic systems. Like you look at how, how cells communicate, how uh, neuro pathways work, uh, you know, if you if you understand how those systems work, you can sometimes make better decisions on how a system over here might function. You can, I mean, of course, we're not when we talk about AI, we're not we're not doing the neural nets on on chain quite yeah. yet, but we're able to plug into those things um, using oracles and, and ways to kind of uh, stitch those things together very lightly. Um, so so the Cosmos ecosystem uh, emerged um, as uh, one of the founders, Ethan Buckman, at Informal Systems. Um, you know he. Uh, from the very beginning was advocating uh, modeling on organic uh, design uh, and using uh, biology and the, uh, the processes uh, and the uh, distribution and networks that we see there to actually uh, create uh, the Cosmos ecosystem. So it's inspired from the very beginning uh, to be like that, more like that, less monolithic, less monopolistic. Mm. So one other one thing here for me is just for our listeners, our viewers, um, you know, you guys are marching towards, you know, product release in the next couple of months, which is so exciting for, for people kind of chomping at the bit and people who really just want to kind of get to know Andromeda a little bit better and perhaps enter your world and, and start playing with your tools. What is walk us through a very simple experience? What is it? Because if I get asked this question, uh, it's a thousand times all the time. What the heck does a Web3 interface look like? What is a, a blockchain interface like Andromeda yeah. look like? Give us a little walk through. Okay. So we've got a number of um, uh, use cases. We've actually built uh, some early solutions to uh, demonstrate and prove to ourselves that we, we can have the capabilities uh, that we want to have. Uh, there's a, uh, a a project called Minerva, and for them, we created a uh, crowdsourced sale, uh, pre-sale of uh, barrels of wine. There's uh, a wine consortium that operates globally, and they want to pre-sale um, production of barrels of wine so that they can fund their working capital and 
and access that source of capital. In doing so, uh, we've created an app that operates the crowd sale. Uh, when the uh, sale is completed, it takes the proceeds, it splits it three ways, one to the, to the buyer, one to the user, uh, one to an escrow account to, uh, for insurance against future fulfillment. It creates an NFT, uh, an NFT collectible that actually represents the item. And all of this happens on a, uh, uh, a marketplace that's configurable and branded uh, by whoever's using this app. And so this is the sort of app that we estimate would take about six months to build. And today it can be done um, in an hour or so. I mean, and, and in fact, if that's mm -hmm. built, if you had the specs, we actually have the app and right now you can copy it, paste it, own it, not borrow it, not rent it. You can own it and actually make it your software and configure it the way you want. Now, technically what that looks like, if you're an engineer, if you're a builder, you're using a no-code builder and you are, and you've got two different choices. You can use the no-code builder, you could use a command line interface. So the no-code builder is going to let you drag and drop these ADOs, the, these Andromeda digital objects. So for example, uh, we've got an, uh, an ADO that's called CrowdSell. You drop it in and it's got a menu-driven um, configuration of how you want to operate your CrowdSell. Um, we've got a, uh, a splitter contract. This is an ADO that is called the splitter. And you want to take proceeds from this other ADO when it completes the CrowdSell. And you want to split uh, that three ways. So you have three different, you, you configure how many ways you want to split it, what currencies you want to split it in, and you actually send it out. You want to generate an NFT. So you have uh, an, an NFT collectible and you build that into this system of ADOs. You get the idea over time, you end up with this, um, about 10 different uh, ADOs that operate this highly capable app. Now, if you want to do something more, if you're, um, not a product developer or a person that wants to use drag and drop capability. There is a command line interface and you can use normal uh, programming techniques and JSON, which is uh, uh, something that we use at the command line to actually put this together. And it's, it's, a, it's astounding how succinct and expressive um, uh, that, that process is at the command line. So either way, but that's kind of what it mm -hmm. looks like. So, awesome. And so, I would assume as, as you're building and learning, your libraries are growing, correct? That yeah, is correct. The, yeah. the, the whole architecture is each of these, these ADOs are, are freestanding. And we can actually add them to the system one by one as, um, as we develop more of the ADOs. Or in the future, we allow the public to come in and create ADOs. And that gets sort of added to the, to the, to the uh, capabilities of the entire system. So if you think about like on, on a Unix platform, you can install different packages. Well, that's kind of what we're doing here. It's not, not kind of, it's exactly what we're doing here. We're allowing anybody out there to come in and start plugging holes. And, and you know, necessity is the mother of innovation in a lot of ways. And we want to harness that. So basically creating a platform for anybody to create solutions, create, you know, extra functionality. And there's a point where we hit that Pareto curve and it's like, dude, this system does it all. Like it really does. Like you've got you every, you know, minus the, the last little bits out there, but those get developed over time. And so you, you were, we're going to get, you know, 99% functionality of what, of what we want to get done with, you know, the, with around 80 to probably 100 ADOs. And we're at, we're at 30 right now. 
Um, and, and we'll have to let the, the public come in and tell us what's next and, and, and contribute that way. How hard yeah. is the ADO awesome. creation process for a developer? Because that's going to be pivotal. Uh, yeah. You need to know Rust, and Rust is not the easiest language to get into, um, depending on you know where you're coming from. If you're a, a Web 2.0 JavaScript developer standpoint, Rust is probably a little more difficult. If you went to school and have four years of computer science, no problem. You, you're, you're well trained and ready to go. So the, the barrier to entry here isn't um, isn't all that high. I mean, we've got you know multiple billions worth of, of, uh, of people, multi, multiple billions of people in the world now that can that can program in these languages. We just got to get it to the front door and give them a, a, a pathway to, to to get the stuff launched and not have to have such a monolithic long build uh, system. Yeah. So there there are several ways that um, <clears throat> if you find that the library of ADOs that we have doesn't meet all of your needs, there are several different ways for you to get the ADO that you need. Um, one is you can build it your own. We've got a full set of documentation. It's all up to date. You can go out there and look at how we do it, submit it, it gets processed in, it gets audited, and it goes into the library, or you could just use it yourself. Uh, the second way is you have uh, incentives for um, developers or bounties, and you actually hire people to go do that. Um, and then third, we, we have another model where, um, and we're currently studying this, where we use uh, basically incentivized development, where developers get uh, an economic interest in the ADO that is missing and that they need to build, and, and that needs to be built. And so they, or the team that helps them build the ADO, gets compensated as the ADO gets used. And of course, in our world, in the open source world, this it doesn't mean you're extracting uh, economic rents from people, you know, forever. It means it's on a bonding curve and uh, it goes down to some uh, maintenance rate after giving you a, a really good return. Yeah, Brandon, it's, we could talk for hours and I, I actually want to do another segment. Matt and I would love to do another, just a whole segment on workforce and how yeah. you manage teams and or not manage teams um, yeah. and the whole idea of like exactly right <laughs> so, so the whole idea of gamifying it and verification and right. it, it's it's a beautiful thing and, and to, yeah. to, to actually see and and, and, yeah. and uh, witness well it changes the whole dynamic of work in a sense right everything can be quantified it's not this did you clock in from nine to five it's like it's done or isn't it <laughs> and we can prove it, it and right. look at it. Right. Yeah, the the open source movement started in in the late '80s and, and really really flourished in the '90s once we have internet connectivity and we were able to start connecting things. Um, there's a huge piece that 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 Brent and I go back on, and it's like, what would those the the the, the founders, the 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 people who started those movements, what would they have done if they had the ability to to enforce economic incentives? They didn't have that. It was all shareware, remember, or or, or mm. donateware, you know. And I haven't heard that term in so long. Shareware. <laughs> I know. Right. right. Well, yeah. But now we put it on a platform. We sell you ads. I mean, it's 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 just we just push things around. It, it's 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 really perverted. But but you know what would have what would a, a Eric S Raymond uh, have done if they had the tools to enforce economic incentives in their systems? Dude, I have no idea. But my, like, how much yeah. further would we be along if we could have done that? Instead of instead of asking, you know, people like myself to spend, you know, I go to work all day, come home, and I get to I get to create, I get to be creative, I get to to do, do innovation, and then at the end of the night, I have to, to 
can you can you throw me fifty bucks for that? I really appreciate it. I need to pay my rent. I really like to do this full time, but you know, instead I have to go work for SAP building you know solutions for for General Motors. Like it's not really what I want to do, and there's no innovation mm-hmm. there. But like it's that it's that crunch back and forth. Yeah, yeah, and, and for developers picking picking projects they're interested in, both from a you know, a, a programming challenge standpoint, but a, from a belief standpoint, like I don't believe in what you're doing, so I'm not going to work with you. I'm going to support this protocol and that protocol. I'm going to submit. I'm going to be validated. I'm going to be rewarded. It's a very interesting, very interesting system. And again, yeah, and we it, can it go goes against on. it goes against all the MBA teachings out there of 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 how how you derive value, you extract value. You know, instead of like letting someone who's who, letting a if you go to if you go to a, a painter and you say, "Hey, I want a painting that looks exactly like this. Here's an image. I want you to paint that exactly." They go, "All right, I'll, I'll paint that for you, I guess." Or yeah. if you go to a painter and you say, "Hey, something that reminds me of the spring. Can you do something?" The guy goes, "Oh, of course. I would love to do that." And they put their they they put full creative you know expression into that thing. You get a much better product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if if you enforce too much control over things, and you know. You put people in a box, like you're saying, Cody, uh, you're only going to get what you, you kind of in, in inquired about. You're not going to get the creative juice. You're not going to – to me, that's not an, a model for innovation. But if you propose a problem and you ask for a solution in a very certain way, now you're going to get minds open and uh, you're going to get some dynamic results. It's an emergent phenomenon in humans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I, I truly believe there is something bigger, like sociologically, that's happening, you know, in the Web3 space. We don't know what it is. You guys are kind of experiencing it quite a bit yeah. and helping yeah. to forge the way from a historical and future standpoint. Um, you know, it's just something bigger, something bigger we can't put our finger on, but it's very exciting for sure. Um well, it's kind of a convergence of all areas right. of life. It's because our lives have moved digital. So when we have digital ownership, we have more ownership of our actual lives at this point. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I have a question on ADOs, Andromeda Digital Objects. So when these are being developed, um, on one hand, you have problems being solved, but how do you, is there a curation process? How do we determine that that's something that someone else developed, not that you developed, is actually legitimate, that it works, that it functions? How, what's that process involved? So that's, that's where the DAO comes into play. And that might be a, a, a better discussion for a more complex set of, of uh, discussions. But essentially, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, this system is um, permissionless, but it's, but it's also gatekept by the community to make sure that the actual code that my mom might use isn't harmful. We can't expect my mom to be able to go in and read Rust code and make sure that it's actually not going to, it says that it sent the money to so-and-so, but really it just sent it to the guy who put the bug in there um, or the, the hack. Um, so there is a, there is a set of permissions. Now it, there's no, it's not opinionated. So if somebody wants to create a, a, a digital object that no one's going to use and wants to submit it, as long as it doesn't break anything, that's fine. Um, but we're not we're not going to limit creativity or, or or expression on that side. So it's permissionless in that sense. It's it's gatekept and permissioned from a security and a um, 
uh, creating a high standard. You know, you need to have documentation. It needs to be audited. It needs to be vetted by the by your peers to make sure that it's interoperable with the other places, and maybe get some feedback on design choices. Hey, did you know that that you might want to use that that solution with this other one being created? Oh, I didn't think about that. That's the kind of stuff we're going to be asking for. But it's not it's not heavy handed and it's not centralized power. That's the most important piece. It's the it's the Andromeda community and ecosystem that it, that sort of enforces that. But the community will catch anything that would be insidious or, or malfunctioning effectively. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the token holders are the ones that. Yeah. Well, you've got, so you've got an, you've got a third party auditing process uh, that all the ADOs go through. So these ADOs, uh, they're modular, they're composable. They sit in this Andromeda logic library and before they go there, they're going to be audited. Okay, every every piece of code is audited by a third party. The community will look at them and audit them as well. Uh, there will be uh, incentivization, we call them bug bounties, to actually audit them. So all of these things uh, are in place to preserve the integrity of the contracts and these ADOs. However, when you start building really complex systems of ADOs, you're composing lots of ADOs into some type of uh, system uh, that is sold or presented to the market as an app, that has to be audited as well. Because just because you have lots of audited contracts doesn't mean that whoever built the app didn't put something, didn't act, put a malicious logic in there or didn't configure in a way that um, is not useful or harmful to either the, the user or or even the, 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 the ecosystem. Yeah, it's a pretty unique uh, transition. Yeah. And it seems like, just curious, because there's so many layers uh, to get to that level of sophistication. Just from your team, where, and, and I think this probably includes uh, Rich, us as, uh, Arc, at Arc as well, but where, where are the biggest challenges in terms of development? What have been the biggest hurdles? We talked earlier about, you know, you get 90% of the way there, and then there's that last 10% where it's just the m biggest challenge. Yeah, that's that's really around the, the technology stacks that we're using are they're still in their infancy stage. I think they're at the earliest stage that what we're doing can be done. But for instance, documentation on a lot of projects is lacking. So learning how to build on these things, you've got a lot of instability in a lot of areas. None of you know none of the chains are configured the exact same way. So we haven't we haven't quite standardized everything. But I think that's that's going to um, that's coming. It's, it's part of the process. And I think we're at the earliest point where you could stand up something like we're doing in an ecosystem. So the, the difficult part is just this being a really, really early part in, in the, in the, the, the early days of, of building in this, in this ecosystem. Yeah. The, the other thing that happens, um, we're talking about the last 10%. We've, we've achieved all the major breakthroughs that we need. Okay. So, the architecture, all the, the creative power of our engineering team operating in this really loose fashion like a, a basketball team and really pushing hard for the last uh, 14, 15 months to create a breakthrough uh, technology. Um, all of those technological leaps in architecture and design have been made and we've proven them. We've got a, that we've already proved the capability. So at this point, that last 10% is really, um, you know, I guess, American football, we call it blocking and tackling, but it's, it's the basics. Uh, okay, so 
we talked about um, we start introducing more cathedral-like processes. We get more methodical with our project management. We're already seeing that. Our uh, development and release cadence is getting very disciplined. The team's really uh, embraced it. And you can see it coming together really fast now in that last 10%. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> it's interesting. I've sat next to these guys for, for quite some time, witnessing the whole kind of experience, obviously not at a granular code level, but really interacting with them and understanding what's been going on. So you have to understand for, for our viewers that they're creating a suite of tools on the world's computer, if you will, and we've talked about this map before where you're failing in public a lot of times, yeah. right? Almost. I mean, you guys really have, but you, you guys have had planet sized boulders thrown at your heads, like almost on a daily basis protocols imploding, which totally spun everyone out of control, including you got not out of control. You guys kind of shucked and jived perfectly and manage yourselves. But these are regulations and protocols going down and, you know, um, uh, you know, coins that are not working, you know, algorithmic coins that are just not supporting uh, the system properly. You guys have seen it all. And <clears throat> really, I mean, I have to give it to you. Th that's impressive to, to, you know, you know, dodge regulations and things that are happening in, in, the, in the media, you know, that everyone's hearing about. You yeah. guys have been dealing with it. I see it completely different. I, I see, I, to me, it's really impressive that somebody can go and sit in a chair for nine hours and do accounting. That's what's right. that, I, like, how could you do that? For me, <laughs> being in this, being in this, in this lively environment where things are shifting on a constant basis and you never know what's going to happen tomorrow and who's going to get hacked and what's going to, this is exciting, man. This is the only place to be for me. I, th right. I, I thrive in unstable environments. I love this stuff. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's the yeah, warfare no, it's of good. coding. Uh, and yeah. We, we share yeah, yeah, we share your sentiment, Cody, for sure. And that's one of the things, you know, it's interesting, even for a company like ours, who are helping with communications and branding and, and some development work, um, you, you know, it, it's all a very waterfall kind of, you know, hybrid, agile environment and whatnot. But this is truly the Wild West, you know, in a lot of ways, the, there are no playbooks and you, you guys are cutting your teeth. You know, you're falling down, yeah. you, but you're getting back up quicker, right? And the idea, yeah. it, just like your communities that you're cultivating, you're learning and you're building. And it's all blocks that are just tearing up to something really special. So, yeah, yeah I, I, we share your excitement, Cody, for sure. <laughs> it does always seem like, you know, two points. The, the elegance of simplicity always requires so much complexity to get there. People don't always appreciate the incredible work that goes into getting something when it finally works, when you have an ADO and you just put it in there and there, it's just seamless to the user. They don't understand the, the immensity that it took to get there. And then when one little thing goes wrong, they complain, <laughs> but, uh, exactly. But then I, I have a second question or a thought, I guess, which is, um, is anyone else out there doing anything like this? This seems like unique in, in a very profound way. Not that you want so to advertise anyone else, but <laughs> well, actually, we're tracking about 72 different um, companies across all the ecosystems, um, Ethereum, Polkadot, Cosmos, 
There are lots of applications, um, dApps that are in projects that are using the type of language that we use, composable, modular, um, and creating uh, apps, no-code builders, these sorts of things, um, marketplaces. Um, what we don't see is of everyone in the world, um, we don't see anyone that has created a fully decentralized um, system. And it's a technical distinction, but it makes all the difference. Um, it means that the, the, the scalability, the ease of implementation, the speed at which you can build um, can't be matched. You're, when we look at the level of innovation, when you take these Web 2.0 technologies and you're using APIs to interact with the blockchain, you run into lots of scale issues and you also uh, run into a lot of, um, uh, it's really hard to extend functionality and to innovate in those environments. What we've created is, is made for that. It was born for that. It was born for people to build really, really fast and really capable systems. And again, the, the difference is the, the architecture. An architecture that an end user uh, ultimately doesn't care about unless it's really better. And that's what we have to prove and we think, at least initially, we're going to be able to, um, or we're inviting developers in to use the tools. And when they can do something in 30 minutes that used to take six months, I think we'll, uh, we've made our point. Yeah, that is quite a difference. I love that. I love those numbers for sure. Um, and those will be promoted heavily for sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, you know, as we're kind of, you know, nearing the end here, uh, perhaps, when can we see, when are you planning on launching the application? Yeah, so the million dollar we've, question. Got proof, <laughs> we've got a proof of capability uh, that we've rolled out. Um, it looks like a, a really early beta, uh, probably more like an alpha. We're expecting that in the next um, six weeks, we can have a public um, beta where we introduce the public. Uh, we're already introducing privately people into the software to use it and build solutions. When we talk about being ready for public release, it doesn't mean that it is um, completely usable for a normal person walking off the street. It's not Shopify. It's not an operating system as easy to use as the one on your mobile phone. Uh, that is the direction, and technically there's no reason why we can't build those experiences. Initially, the, the tools are going to um, Web3 and Web2 developers who want to go much, much faster, build more capable solutions, and connect their projects to other projects throughout the Cosmos ecosystem. Mm. And, you know, Brendan, this team and, and the ARC team have talked a lot about who you guys are targeting, right? I know who they are, but who are you, yeah. targeting? <laughs> who are you guys targeting at the end of the day? Yeah, it's a fascinating question because we have a lot of um, people ask us, well, 
you know, what, what's your use case? What's your, what industry are you going after? It's like, well, what, what industry does an operating system go after? Uh, you make all the industries better. You make them all more capable. Um, we see the, um, the earliest target market being Web3 developers. They understand what they want to do. They have a clear vision of what they have to do to build a, um, or, or at least the functionality that they want to create and deploy as a, as a decentralized app. And it's really maddening. It's a frustrating process for everyone. We can make things really easier, better, and faster for them uh, soon. We, we are already demonstrating projects that will stand up um, really, really quickly. So we'll have great use cases, great reference accounts, uh, scaled reference accounts um, very soon in the next uh, uh, few months. Yeah, I mean, I can see product innovators getting involved. You yeah. know, uh, obviously, the development community is kind of the tip of the spear with yeah. uh, protocols like your, you know, and yeah. OSs like yours. Um, and uh, business folks, I mean, really, when you start to yeah. understand, you know, product, uh, product life cycles, and you can create, you know, business solution, real business solutions right. rooted in utility real right. um and it's not uh once you start to go into that from a business mind uh, it really starts to get exciting too yeah okay i was gonna say what are the missed Brendan. business opportunities uh for people not embracing web3 right now in your views and andromeda's tools um are really going to unleash the creative powers of uh all of the creators you already see it in the NFT phenomena, both in music and um, NFT and other digital collectibles. What we can do is give them the power to create and innovate uh, new business models and support new functionality and extend the functionality. Today, the functionality is really pretty thin. You know, you buy something at a marketplace, you can look at it. Um, there's scarcity attached to it, which is wonderful. Um, that's an early use case. Tokenizing the, as Cody says, the $500 trillion in the world today of real world assets that aren't liquid, that could be. And they're not liquid because <clears throat> they don't fit in the categories that the largest institutions currently um, securitize. And that's a great business for them. They've got all they can handle. Um, small banks can't handle low liquidity uh, real world assets too much risk. And so it's a completely neglected market and connecting real world assets to uh, decentralized finance and the very best of those products uh, is a huge opportunity, uh, both for um, uh, creating liquidity with those assets, but also introducing whole new uh, uh, business models and economics around those. Uh, finally, there is a, um, uh, another model, and that is, uh, and that's uniquely powered by these decentralized systems, and that's um, coordination games. Today, there are uh, consortium and there are industries that are really being held hostage by uh, distributors, wholesalers, intermediaries, people that are in the middle. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One of them is because 
they that those intermediaries show up with capital, okay, so they can buy product and other things uh, that need to be distributed. So blockchains will connect um, uh, consortium industries to uh, decentralized finance and create marketplaces uh, where the entire industry can actually participate in the value creation of the network that disintermediates all the intermediaries today. So it effectively mm -hmm. unlocks entire markets that didn't exist prior. I think this is something you and I talk about a lot, Rich, right? Correct. Oh, absolutely. That's the exciting, yeah. truly exciting part is when you yeah. slice out the middleman and you bring two like-minded parties together uh, and doing business. It's, it's magic, magic. Right. That's all you can, that's the only way I can say it um, yeah. and much needed. Yeah. So I think uh, I think on that note, as we wrap it up, uh, for people wanting to learn about Andromeda, uh, tell us guys where can they go, what where do they start? Well, I think you would go to www.andromedaprotocol.io, and there you'll find uh, a couple different paths. Okay, um, you can find a high level explanation of what we're about if you're an executive or uh, a product developer. If you're a, a developer or you want to get your hands on the technology, we've got a, a path um, for developers to get to our documentation. Uh, very soon we'll have a public link for people to actually use uh, the technology and actually build with it in a test environment. And the, um, those tools and the documentation um, are fairly comprehensive, and the um, we, we've spent a lot of time making sure that um, when users uh, and developers onboard, they want to create, that they've got the information that they need so that they can learn how to do it. Mm. And I think when we usually wrap these podcasts up, and I think this is a great way to end, uh, if you were to say there's one to two major takeaways, if someone listening to this, if you would hope that they remember one to two things, uh, what would that be? And maybe all of us can go around the table, maybe starting with Brendan. If you want to build really fast, or if you want to build something really new and you have an idea um, about what you could do in Web3, uh, Andromeda would be a great place to start. If you're a programmer and you're interested in um, seeing, you know, really pushing the limits and seeing what are probably one of the most ambitious um, projects out there in this space, I would definitely come take a look at what we're doing. Yeah. And I'll just I'll just wrap up here, uh, guys. You know, we've been working with the Andromeda team for quite some time. Uh, personally, you know, I would say go hit up their Twitter, their Discord channels, start interacting with them um, because it really is a vibrant community. There's a lot of smart people out there thinking differently, truly thinking differently um, and doing exciting things. And, you know, when I first saw this, I, it got me very excited because it, it, it brings in a whole new uh, welcomes in a whole new world of, of creatives and developers and content people. So with that said, guys, thank you so much. This has been, as usual, an amazing dialogue <laughs> that probably can go on for 
days at, <laughs> on end. Um, we, we know that. Um, we really appreciate your time, and I think our community is really going to appreciate um, the products you're putting out and, and how you're going to support Web3 and the blockchain in general and get people off and running and uh, building business applications. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. It's been wonderful.